Victor Dandridge, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm good, Dirk Manning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Hey, did you hear that uh, Adrian has issues? Yo, he's got a lot of issues. That is what I've heard. I've heard that his issues are amazing as they are numerous. Wide, yes, numerous. Yeah. Far-reaching. Far-reaching. Vast. He has a plethora of issues. Oh, snap, a multitude. A multitude, a spectrum of issues. A myriad of, of issues? Is You're that reaching you're deep. But, you know, listen, we can talk about Adrian's issues all day. True. But the fact of the matter is Adrian has issues. Right. And now everyone out there, thanks to you, Victor Dandridge. To me? What about to you, Dirk Manning? Now everyone else can experience Adrian's issues. Isn't that great? That's, it's, beautiful. it's beautiful. So, you know, why don't we quit talking and then people can experience Adrian and his issues, because I've heard that Adrian has, has issues. He does have issues. So, Dirk Manning, you're going to get off this? I think I will, Victor Dandridge. Let's allow people to get to Adrian. Let's talk to Adrian then. And welcome to Adrian Has Issues. As always, it's me, Adrian, yapping your off yet again. So today's a really fun episode. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you listeners checked out episode 19, which was House of Stylo, where I got to chat with the founder and editor-in-chief of Red Stylo Media. Well, after doing that episode, it was really cool because they uh, just actually got a Kickstarter funded for their Project 27, which is a anthology based on the members of the Controversial 27 Club, which is essentially a, a list of musicians who have all died at the ripe age of 27. I know it's, it's pretty crazy, but it, it was a great anthology, and there's so many wonderful writers and artists that were contributing to that, and today's guest is actually one of those uh, contributors. So uh, he's we got a slew of stuff he's working on. Again, I, I looked at his uh, resume, so to speak, and he's a machine <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen here's my guest mario candelaria mario how's it going man hey well how are you doing today i'm doing great so yeah thank you for having me on i appreciate you finding time to to get me in i'm looking forward to talking to you anytime and it was just so funny because uh prior to starting uh we've kind of been going back and forth a little bit through email about oh so what do you want to talk about and oh what time are you uh what time are you available and i i, I sent you this is this is how i knew this was going to be a good time because i just want to always make sure that anytime someone's on the show and if there's something in particular they want to hit on which you did let me know that for the very first email. But then I'm like, is there anything else, any additional stuff you want to discuss? Like, feel free to throw it out there. And you sent me this email of, oh my gosh, there were so many projects. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really cool because I'm like, this is the greatest problem to have as a podcaster, where there almost may be too much stuff to talk about. Because <laughs> it all sounds amazing, and I would love to hit on all of it. problem, yeah. Thanks. I mean, hopefully I don't have, you know too much to talk about and you started to get bored with me trust me i remember years ago when i would used to do this with a friend of mine and we would literally just be like okay we'll set up a microphone and go and we were just kind of like okay so what do we do and it's like uh wait you didn't bring anything for the show it's <laughs> like no you didn't i didn't bring anything either so then we just sit there and then just start riffing 
going back and forth. And I was like, all right, we'll pull up a website. We'll see what we can get. And it turns out that ended up being our show was the fact that there was no show. <laughs> oh, trust me, this is not going to be one of those situations. Yeah, one of those Seinfeld situations where it's quite not too sure what you're uh, talking about. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wish it was like Seinfeld because then it would, I think it'd be a lot funnier. And honestly, oh man, if I can get Larry David to write material for my podcast, <laughs> I, I would probably be set. Well, I'm actually a, a comic writer, so if you want some material, I'll see what I can put together for you. Really? Which, oh man, oh great. See, now oh, I want to talk about this now because I know I want to talk about your Kickstarter, but that's actually something that was I thought was very interesting is you are a, you are a comic creator, but you're also a comedian. Like, how does that happen? Oh, man, it's such a um, weird story. Of course, I had a troubled life growing up, so that's where that stemmed from. <laughs> no, um, I just, um, one day I saw my best friend, Randy Humphrey, do comedy, and I was like, oh, if this guy can do it, I can do it. And so I reached out to his instructor, Rick Crom, Rick uh, in the Comedy Cellar in Manhattan, and I attended a bunch of classes and just took off from there. I've had a couple of uh, comedians on, or I've spoken to a few, and there's one thing I've always loved is knowing the art of crafting a joke because i think some people maybe get the the misinformation that a comedian basically just goes up and then just starts spewing out jokes left and right but there's a lot more to the process in terms of writing a joke and getting the beats correct and it, it's even now like i'm still kind of learning the ins and outs of like stand-up comedy and it, it's pretty it's pretty amazing i don't think people really get a lot of you know the inside dope about what really goes into making a joke it takes a little bit of an effort i mean i can go up there and lose the crowd but sometimes i have something on top of my head that works but for the most part i like to uh jot down notes I have a notepad on my phone if I can't write it down and I just have, or I text random things to my girlfriend and she'll just be like, what the hell is this? Um, but it's just so I keep a record so that way I can look back and see what I have. Same thing with comic books or writing in general. Um, if you have an idea, I just try to mark it down as quick as possible so I can try to build on it later. Basically, you get an idea, you jot that down, then you build on it, which is interesting. So it's more of a, I guess, a free form kind of thing as opposed to sitting down and blocking out point by point of what you have to do? Uh, it depends. I, I really like to just let things come as, as they will. I, am, I feel like sometimes when I'm sitting there staring at my laptop just waiting for something to come is when nothing comes. I'll check my email or I'll you know, end up playing Fallout somehow. But if I have an idea, I just like to just run with it until I just can't anymore. <laughs> Which I'm surprised anyone could craft a joke while playing Fallout because I'd imagine like <laughs> your your joke notebook is a series of screams and profanity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, with bats and uh, the pit boy and all that. I can go on for days about Fallout. Trust me. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm going to stop you right here. Okay. At some point, you might have to come back because um this happened with another guest of mine. Uh, her name is Mariah Hummer. She's um, based out in the Colorado. There's this comic book called Flat Track Furies. We both find out that we're massive fans of the Fast and Furious movies. So I actually had her come back on and we just spent about an hour and a half talking Fast and the Furious. So knowing that you're a big Fallout fan, that's it. You, you have, you're going to have to come back because I can talk all day about that. Awesome. I mean, I can go on right now if you want, but let's stick to topics at hand. <laughs> yeah. He's like, anyway, it's like, so I was writing this joke. So it's like, so a guy walks into a bar is like, damn it, Death Claws, why? Oh, uh, Death Claws are those B things. I don't know. We can get into that later. But <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, crafting a joke is um, really just as it comes out to you sometimes. Um, you know, you'll just sit there. Let's say you're walking through the mall or you're driving and something will pop up and then you'll just be like, damn it, I need to jot this down right away. But I like to just build on um, 
you know, the intricacies of real life, just things that people find, uh, you know, in common throughout many cultures. I, don't, I try to stay away from uh, topical humor or uh, really blue material. Nothing against them, though, but that's just my personal preference. Right, that's kind of what you're into because I I I've heard some comedians who you can kind of get an idea as to whether they're telling the joke because they like they actually enjoy that joke or they're trying a little too hard to be maybe a little edgier or outspoken and unfortunately that's one of those things where you can always tell when someone's being genuine so yeah that's perfectly fine. My favorite one is about um, it's it's sort of fictional but where I came out as straight to my gay parents. Uh, I have gay parents, but I did not have to come out as straight. But it worked so beautifully when I was just crafting a joke one day. And, you know, that's where I like to play off, you know, things of real life and try to embellish a little bit. Oops, I think I just spilled the beans on comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Oops, I just dropped the curtain. There you go. Now anybody can do it. (laughs) Like people start storming the ramparts. All right, now we don't know how to do it. Let's all take the stage. Yeah, what do you mean this isn't real? (laughs) It's like wrestling all over again. Jeez. Uh, oh, come on. Wait, people still, it's 2015 and people still have that argument? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm a huge wrestling fan and I, I watch it for entertainment value, but there's still some people who are just like, you know, it's fake, right? I'm like, you know, Game of Thrones is fake, right? <laughs> just in a documentary. Uh-huh. It's just, you know, it's personal preferences, but I still think it's funny that people try to point that out. Like it's a big, you know, mystery that no one figured out until then. They're dragons. They are real. I saw them myself. Uh, they're going to... Oh, I just un- unleashed. I can't even fathom this uh, rage that's about to come my way. I've actually barely watched Game of Thrones. It's just one of those things that I realized everybody was telling me how great it is. So I went to go watch it. And it's like, okay, there's talking, there's talking, random nudity, and there's more talking. But yeah, I'll go on Twitter and people are losing their minds. I'm like, what are they seeing? Because I just see exposition. Oh, see- seriously. I-, I actually just got into it this year. I've watched every episode as they were on HBO, but it wasn't like one of the shows that really grabbed me. So I think um, just before the season five finale to end it, I just did a marathon show and I was like, wow, I really get this show now, but nothing happens. <laughs> so in other words, it's, it's like Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, it's building up to something, but you just can't quite know what. Um, waiting for George to start talking about him working at the Yankees or something. <laughs> That's what we need to do. We need to talk to Larry David and redo Game of Thrones with characters from both Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. I mean, think about it. You have uh, Joffrey's brother, whatever his name is, talking to his mom, and all of a sudden, Littlefinger just comes in like Kramer. Like <laughs> The crowd, like the, the studio audience goes nuts. And there's a bass, <laughs> just a random bass somewhere. <laughs> or better yet, it's got to be, okay, what's like a medieval instrument, like a like a flute or like a lute or something like that, but it plays the Seinfeld theme song? <laughs> Oh, no, I think you're on to something, actually. Let's uh, call George R. R. Martin and see what, what he thinks. <laughs> I was about to say, we shouldn't have said this on a podcast, because what's going to happen now is they're gonna someone's going to take this, and they're going to go on YouTube, they're going to make this short, it's going to get a million hits, and neither of us are going to get residuals. For oh, that. man. Well, at least we will know. <laughs> well, we'll know, and then that way, then we can write our tell-alls. Like, aha, see, I have this data. This is all recorded, so... This is this is hard evidence that we came up with this first. Timestamps and everything, you know. All right, so I guess we should probably, because uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm one of those people like you send me on a bit, I'm just gonna go with it and run, because I I realized maybe part of me should have gone into uh, improv comedy myself, <laughs> but then it's like okay, you got so much stuff here, we should probably get into it. 
All right. So let's do this. The first book you mentioned, though, uh, when we first talked was uh, Kamar. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, actually, you are. But um, since I'm from New York, uh, we say it like Tony Soprano would in Guma, which is uh, where we actually got the title for it. Oh. Yeah. Um, it literally means in Italian, uh, mistress. Well, it's slang for mistress. It actually means the godmother, but. We wanted to um, have an exotic name that looked, you know, interesting. It's one word. And if uh, people really looked up what it meant, they would get it right away. Once I say, you know, it's Guma. Living in northern New Jersey, I should know that. <laughs> but I, I'm so terrible when it comes to that. But looking at this, because I didn't know much about the book when you first mentioned it. So going into the campaign, I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is this is a really cool idea. But I'm going to pipe down for a little bit and then let you explain to the good people what the story is about. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's the story that we've actually been working on for uh, a little bit of time now. We've really, you know, taken our time uh, both artistically um, and also on the writing side and just really fine tuned everything that we could to create the most dramatic and compelling story that we could about um it's basically about an affair, but the affair is just the beginning of the story. It's the introduction to the characters. Uh, the story takes place in 1953 Los Angeles, and it follows a girl named Amelia who's having an affair with Francis Lombardi, uh, who she affectionately calls Buster throughout the whole thing. But once her uh, boyfriend comes back from the Korean War, she tries to call things off, and that's where the story uh, picks up and gets really dramatic. Once I saw the, um, I was watching your Kickstarter video, looking at some of the art, I was immediately drawn into it because, okay, doing a little bit of a backstory, um, growing up, my mom is very much a huge fan of classic movies, uh, what, you know, especially the, you know, stuff from like the thirties and forties and early fifties as a, as a small child, it was like death to me because of course, you know, I was in the video games, the superheroes and I, Watching people talk in black and white bored me to tears. But at the time, we only had the one TV. So the deal was, my mom was like, okay, you can play whatever video games you want, but let me finish this next movie or whatever one's coming up after. So a lot of times, I was like, all right, fine. I sit there and watch these movies. But yet, over time, what was happening was I found myself getting into it and really just appreciating like that that era of storytelling, and especially the dramas. Because one thing about classic film and like, as far as stories of that era, everything was just, I guess, even the the, the, the minute act was larger than life. It, it told a story, and it did it in this very grand way that today they, you know, laugh at and say it's overacting. But that type of storytelling was just, I think it was just, it was awesome. So seeing that type of story in that type of art in a modern comic, which, you know, you don't see that too often. I think this was, it was really cool. Thanks. Yeah, we were really trying to capture exactly what you were uh, saying, you know, just a grand story in such a traditional sense. Um, you know, what's really more character based versus, you know, loud in your face action. Uh, we do have some action, spoiler alert, but you know, <laughs> it definitely fits in the context of the story. So what was it that led you to tell the story? Because, I mean, I know in this era, the way comic books have now being being consumed we're now at the point where we can start telling different stories that aren't strictly, you know, superheroes and spandex and explosions. But yet this seems to be the other end of things where this is something that you don't see all too often too. So what was it that inspired you to, uh, to write this? Exactly what you said. Uh, we're not seeing stuff like this, but we're starting to see more, um, 
stories that are outside of you know what Marvel and DC and all of their little clones are really putting out. Um, I've I'm I've I've always been drawn to dramatic storytelling. Uh, I grew up watching so many movies, um, you know, from different eras and even more modern stuff. Like I love uh, Closer, uh, Woody Allen's Match Point, things like that are really the movies that, you know, really capture my imagination. Although I will go out and see superhero movies opening weekend. Uh, oh, yeah, no doubt. But yeah, <laughs> but, but this is my real passion. And I felt um, that now is the perfect time to put out something that's a little bit different and it didn't actually come together until i met ashley st lawrence who is my co-creator on this uh we worked together on a separate comic that just came out of comiXology called epilogue which is a uh it's it's basically a one-shot uh romantic story about a couple who run into each other 10 years after they've broken up and they see how each other matures and while they're talking they're having flashbacks of their previous life (laughs) <laughs> once I saw her artwork on that I was like wow I need to lock this girl in for something you know a little bit bigger and I've always wanted to put together something huge not to get us famous or known or anything but just something so I can say hey I created this and uh, once Ashley came on board the story just really started to come together on its own uh, I think I took a couple of days one night and I'm sorry a couple of days in the fall of 2013 and I pounded out an entire 100-page script. Holy crap. Yeah, I I sort of knew where I wanted to go because um, I started out with the prologue that you saw in the um, in the preview where, you know, it starts off with an accident and a murder. So I knew, okay, the story had to get there, but how? And I, with three days, I just put nothing but vodka and Lana Del Rey and the Great Gatsby soundtrack. And I, just, <laughs> I really just, you know... Uh, put together this story and I met up with her at New York Comic Con and I handed her. She was she wasn't even expecting thinking I was gonna work with her or anything else. I was like, here, here's this hundred page script I had printed and bound. And she was completely surprised. And from there, you know, she fell in love after she read it and she knew that this would be her next project. That is fantastic. So the in three days you managed to get all of this bound written and just completely banged out like did you were you like in a room all day like no lights kind of thing uh yeah actually my my back room where i like to write is um it's pretty small i wouldn't say it's confined but i'm comfortable here once i'm here and i have my mindset i time just flies by i forget to eat you know (laughs) i've had that happen sometimes and it's 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 such a relief knowing that i'm not the only one that does that like you get into this mode and you just go with it and of course it's like Three days later, you've got like a five o'clock shadow. Your eyes are all <laughs> bloodshot. And it's just like, what did you do? It's like, you don't want to know. Read this. Yeah. Well, the vodka helps. I'll say that much. <laughs> just straight, not even like tonic water, nothing. Uh, no, no. I'm a wuss. I have, to, I have to cut it with something. Otherwise, okay. just, uh, the fire taste. No. Um, <laughs> what did I use? I think I just used orange juice. But sometimes I use uh, ginger ale for, uh, I forgot what it's called, the Moscow Mule. I, honestly, whatever's in the fridge, I'll just grab it and say, all right, this might be good together. <laughs> My very first apartment by myself, I didn't want to pay for electricity as much, so I would just do a lot of things without lights. So it was me, Final Draft, I think it was like version 7 at the time, mm-hmm. and it was, what the hell was it? It was Hawaiian Punch and like Majorska Vodka. Ooh, nice. Uh, so <laughs> bad. And I would sit there writing this great story and next thing you know, halfway through in the course, there's like 
it'd be like drum and bass playing or like some weepy indie rock, whatever I was listening to at the time. And halfway through, I'm like, I can't see the page. Keep writing. <laughs> yeah, trust me. Hawaiian Punch does not cut the taste out at all. Either. No. I tried that if and anything, Gatorade. Oh, see, no, Gatorade's worse. That's like yeah. That's like sticking an electrical socket right in the like a, a pool of water. Like it's just. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, but it's amazing the things you'll drink when you're broke. Mm. Yeah, I'm still drinking stuff while I'm broke. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how that's honestly how the, the story came together. I I didn't have this opus that I've been carrying around in my heart for for years. It's just I saw this girl's art. I was like, okay, what can I do with this? And um, you saw from the visualization um, of what she put together, um, she has a style that really can capture that that essence of that old Hollywood dark cinema feel. And that's the reason why we chose uh, 1953 Los Angeles, just to best bring out, you know, the aesthetic. I don't know if you want to get into a little bit of the characters here, because I, I love the, the Kickstarter campaign, because you basically break it down for the characters and everything. Yeah, uh, man, uh, the characters are... I feel like they're a part of me, to be honest, because um, I go full method when I write. I put myself in their personality, so if they're going through any emotions, I'm going through emotions, and sometimes that isn't to my benefit. If like they're in a bad mood and Aaron comes in the room and I'm in a bad mood <laughs> just because I'm writing it out, um, but we, uh, we have the... Uh, the lead, Amelia, she's, uh, she's a young girl who's, you know, she's out to have fun and she's just trying to distract herself any way possible because her man Bradley went off to war and just never corresponded. She doesn't know if he's alive or dead or what's going on. So she gets into an affair with a uh, local restaurateur, Francis. Um, he's, he's a character all on his own. He was also a vet from World War II. And once he got that money from the GI Bill, he pack his family up from New York to move out to Los Angeles so he could chase his dream of opening up a restaurant that the stars go to. But once he gets here, of course, you know, he gets everything he wants and he's still not happy, which is, you know, uh, much to the discredit of his wife, Selena, who is, I think, probably my favorite character, actually. She's, she's pretty strong, um, but she's weary. Like, you know, she's definitely um, had to beat some ladies off with sticks before, you know, to keep her husband to herself, <laughs> you know, and uh, and take care of her dynamic. I mean, her, her she has no family out in Los Angeles. Her, her she, she was ripped away from her home and everyone she knew in New York. And all she has is just her husband and the house and the kid that she's raising, Marco. And then Bradley. Bradley's a tragic character, actually. Um, my mom works at the VA, and I'm, I'm always hearing about, you know, soldiers who are recently coming back. And I based... I based Bradley on that, where he he's coming back to his old normal, but in a new dynamic of himself, so he can't quite get the puzzles to fit. You know what I mean? Like that's an interesting. That's a very um, interesting way to phrase that. Yeah, it's like I've known people when they went off to war and they come back, and yeah, you're happy to see them back, but there's something different about them, and I'm trying to capture that in Bradley, and I believe we have captured just you know something's off about him, and even though he's back and Amelia's happy to see him she recognizes as well that something's different later in the uh spoilers for issue two <laughs> she's talking to her father who is also a vet of world war one um I'm trying to really make that a running theme in the story and you know she just says to give him time basically but there's something about him that died out there and we will get into that as the story progresses 
Now, how many issues was this planning to be, or is this just an ongoing? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, we definitely have six issues completely mapped out. Um, it depends on how, after the Kickstarter, uh, the pitching process goes. But I know some publishers will will be more open to uh, more unknown creators if it's a smaller commitment on their end. So six issues uh, really brings the complete story home, but we can probably pack it down to four if we need to. Now, um, has the campaign started for that already, or is it still a while before launch? Yeah, we launched uh, last Monday. You know, we really took time to put the whole thing together. I think we were supposed to launch in July, but then we were fine-tuning things more. But it's been uh, nine days now, and uh, it's going well. We're almost at the halfway point. We're at... Uh, 52% away from being funded. It's uh, it's really nerve-wracking, though, honestly, when you're watching the numbers go up and, you know, having to constantly hit people up online and promoting yourself. Uh, that is the one thing that's always tough is the promotional side. It's the equivalent of, and this is going to sound really messed up, but you're it's like you're going out in the middle of the street and you're basically naked and you're you're quacking like a duck to draw attention to yourself oh yeah no 100 percent. i am i i am the naked cowboy in times square singing my song and anyone who will give me quarters at this point i mean i'm really trying to not overdo it you know on facebook and twitter but i also have people tell me hey you need to get it out there a little bit more so i'm trying to walk a fine line between not being annoying and also getting the message out well, see, the thing is, though, as for if there's anything I know about when it comes to campaign promotions, you'd be surprised the amount of, because I think the way I see it is, if you send it out once, okay, it's like, let's say you send out a tweet about uh, Kamara, like, you send one out at 3 o'clock. All right, that's great, but then the people before that missed it, the people after that might miss it. It's exhausting because you, there really is like a non-stop process because it's like you can't just send out one message and hope it circulates. It really is one after another. And yeah, I'm with you. Like I've never had to do a Kickstarter, but there's definitely that, am I doing this too much? Are people really into this? Yeah, uh, this is my second one actually. And it's completely different than how it was uh, two years ago when I did one for Ashes. Um, like I had to look at my graphs to see, okay, when are my followers most active? So I can try to you know, use that, that prime time. But at the same time, there are people, like you said, who wake up at 6 o'clock and go to work. And then I have to hit up the West Coast people as well. And then also put out tweets hoping the European side, it, you know, sees things. Right. So in a lot of ways, you're really not being annoying. You're just being strategic. The one thing about Twitter or social media in general, it's global. So, again, you have to hit all those people. Mm -hmm. And Kickstarters are usually like, what, a month, right? Yeah. Um you can get it uh, as little as you want, but up to 60 days. So we did just a little bit over a month because I wanted to end it on a Saturday night. That way, if we have a successful campaign, I can throw a proper victory party for myself at home without having to worry how about it. fucking, pardon my language, but how fucking brilliant is that? <laughs> I tried. That is a really good idea. I never would have thought to do that. I was like, okay, we can end this Labor Day uh, weekend, Saturday, because I don't want to get too wasted for Sunday and then, you know, have to. Even though um, I don't work on Monday, you still don't want to fight a hangover the last day off before you go back to work. So, you know. <laughs> it's like the hangover Kickstarter edition. <laughs> it's like, oh, that vodka and orange, she's got me again. Oh, man. Don't even get me started. I, I can't drink the way I used to. I've missed many uh, comic conventions because I couldn't get up to get to the floor the next morning. <laughs> I've done that recently, too. And I'm sorry. Like, I'm one of those people, like, I'm a, I really am a social drinker. In a way, like, there's a bunch of us that we're having a good time. It's like, fuck it, let's get more, like, whatever. And it's like, you know, you're not you're not creating a nuisance, but sometimes you kind of forget, hey, mm. 
you're not a teenager. There's things you have to do the next day. And like, I got this. I'll bounce back. This was Comic-Con. I think it was maybe 2013. I went out. Um, a couple of friends of mine came with me uh, to Comic-Con. So afterwards, we did a little bit of bar hopping. I don't know what happened. Like, I woke up fully clothed still on my couch. I, I lost a memory card from my camera. So all the pictures I took was like celebrities the day before missing. I don't know how I got there. And it's just like... Okay, years ago, this would have been fine. I would have got up and walked out, got a hamburger, and then, okay. I was I was at a panel, basically, like, asleep, and this guy kept hitting me because I was snoring. <laughs> and my sister hadn't showed up yet because she had a previous engagement, so this is her first time um, coming, I think it was that Saturday. So she sends me a text, where are you? I smuggled in booze for you. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, San Diego's the worst. My actual, my worst drinking story is also at San Diego Comic-Con 2013, oddly enough. Oh, man, and it's it's so easy to do at con. I'm one of those people, I'm very, when it comes to, like, geek stuff, I'm I'm very much more animated than I normally would be. So, of course, I'm surrounded by all these like-minded people, and there's, like, some sort of after-party, we're hanging out, and it's, like, this is big celebration, but, yeah, I'm I'm not a kid anymore, and it, it's getting bad. Oh, man, I'm I'm going to send you a picture later on, and you could use that for the promotion of this tweet, but it's me completely shithoused at Comic-Con leaving a party, and it's just, I don't even remember it. I found some homeless guy at the sign that says something about, I need money for weed, and I was like, dude, I gotta take a picture with him. <laughs> <laughs> And then the next morning, I think I couldn't get out of bed. Panels and people I needed to meet up with, and I'm just like, I'm just not leaving. And then I went to a party the next night, and I was like, I'm not, I can't drink. Oh, this is my sober night. <laughs> okay, you've been to enough comic book conventions, so I think you should appreciate this. Have you gone to a panel, like an early, I would say early Saturday, maybe even early Sunday panel, and played the game of guessing how many panelists were partied the night before? Oh, man, uh, I probably wouldn't be able to keep count. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game I started doing with myself. Uh, started doing uh, with myself the last few times I've been to like, like New York and even some of the, like the local ones. But looking at the panelists, because you can always tell because someone's either got shades. It's like bingo. It's like okay, you take a step every time you see somebody with over like overly large shades or like a baseball cap. <laughs> I'll have to play that next time. Um, I'm gonna be at New York Comic Con, so I'm sure I'll keep that in my back pocket. Yeah, like I said, if if you uh when you, if you go twenty panels, whatever, you, you gotta play. It's so much fun because you'll come to realize, you not for nothing. There's a lot more of us that do that than you would think. <laughs> so in addition to uh, uh, actually, I gotta get the Italian thing right. Like I don't think it rolls off my tongue. Like it sounds like I'm like doing a Rosetta Stone. It's like Gumad, right? Yeah, that's like pretty good. Oh, all right, there you go. See, right. <laughs> take that, Rosetta Stone. <laughs> So you sent me another list of some great stuff you were working on here. I mentioned at the top of the show the Kickstarter for 27, but um, I don't know, are, are we at liberty to talk about that at all? Because I know it hasn't been released yet. Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, Enrico would be mad that I talk about that. All right, cool, because I, I definitely would like to hear a little bit more about some of the contributions, and I know that's that was one of the ones you did. So what was your contribution to the uh, 27 anthology? Uh, I wrote a story um, that's based off of Janis Joplin's Me and Mr. McGee. Very loosely, as I'm sure uh, Enrique told you, we didn't want to you know, do a complete boost of the song. Um, so I, I listened to the song on repeat for about a couple days, and a story came to me. Uh, I call it Freedom's Just Another Word. And it's about a, uh, a girl whose her husband had passed away in the Vietnam War. And so she's hitchhiking out to 
Sandy, San Francisco to spread his ashes. Oh. Yeah, for a comedian, I'm, I don't actually do funny work, which is weird. I was about to say, <laughs> like, and that's actually pretty awesome. There's no rule that, okay, you're a stand-up comedian or you write jokes for people, but yet you also have this other medium that she uses as an outlet for these other things that may be a little too maudlin for stand-up comedies. Yeah, um, like I said, I like to, I'm, I'm a funny person, uh, people tell me. Uh, you know, um, I like to make jokes to people, but I actually like to do serious work sometimes. Um, I feel like I'm getting my Louis C.K. on that way. <laughs> but that's something I've always kind of, me and my best friend, because he's uh, huge into stand-up comedy too, and this is something that we've often talked about, is that in order to, I think, in order to really do, like, legitimate comedy, you first have to understand drama. Mm, yes. Like, the, the two of them aren't necessarily interchangeable, but as far as for comedy, I really do feel like, and I know there's that thing that some people are like, well, you can't really be a comedian unless you have, like, some, you know, trauma or some things to work out. Maybe not necessarily, but I only know myself as far as, like, I'll use movies because that's always one of my go-tos because that's real. Um, But seeing a comedian then do, like, a dramatic role, like, especially I always think to Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Who, I mean, we knew this for years. We knew him as the funny man, you know, very physical comedy, very manic, you know, Mork and Mindy, Aladdin, those things. But then when he did, like, let's say, um, Insomnia or, like, One Hour Photo or even Good Morning Vietnam, you're like, wait, wow, like, this is this is something, this is a side of him you wouldn't have seen before. No, um, you completely hit the nail on the head where you do have to appreciate one to excel at the other. I feel one of my favorite movies that actually is about this topic is Woody Allen's Melinda Melinda, where it's the movie starts out with a group of friends sitting around a diner and they're just, they're actually debating this, whether comedy or drama is the more um, fuller, more colorful storytelling. And they both tell the same story with the same characters and actors, but one half is a comedic half. Well, it's intercut. And the other side is the dramatic side of the story. Uh, it stars Will Ferrell and uh, Rita Mitchell. I'm not sure her name is. But... I didn't see that one, but I do remember Will Ferrell being in that one. Yeah, and I thought that was you know exactly what you're saying, where um, it, they're both sides of the same storytelling coin. It just depends on how you want to see life, if you want to laugh at the little things or take it more seriously. And Robin Williams really did excel at uh, both storytelling aspects. And you've seen it all the time. I just saw the news the other day that Jerry Lewis, his um, concentration camp film, was it The Day the Laughter Died? Mm-hmm. I guess they um, they registered, and I guess in, what, I think it's like another decade or so? I can't remember how many years, but in another number of years, I think they'll actually go about releasing that. Oh, wow. Which I, I know it was like, of course, Jerry Lewis, who was known for very over-the-top slapstick comedy, now doing a, a story about concentration camps during uh, World War II. And we've seen it before, you know, years later with Life is Beautiful, but at the time, it's like, this is Jerry Lewis. Like, this is uh, this is pretty heavy stuff. I find that people find, uh, when you open up yourself um, and show different aspects of your personality, to be a little unsettling if they're used to you only being a certain way. That is actually very true now that you think about it, because I think about, oh, let's see, what are the comedians who've done maybe slightly more dramatic or darker roles and had that sort of blow up? Um, um, Adam Sandler in Funny People is actually my favorite one, where he is playing a comedian who has just a complete shit life. That was a pretty good one, and I guess after, when he did that movie, I'm like, 
wow, you know, Adam Sandler, like, he can kind of play at both sides. And I know it's not the first time he's done it because there's also on Punch Drunk Love. But, yeah, Funny People was a great example of that, of these comedians. It's like, okay, yeah, he does these goofy movies. He's making millions of dollars. But at the end of the day, like, this man is miserable. And yet few people even see that side. What was the one he did with Don Cheadle? That was 9-11. Oh, what was it? Uh, uh, Rain Over Me? Rain Over Me. That one, I thought he did a really good job, um, especially seeing how he's been doing comedies for years, and then he came out with that. (laughs) I guess that's why it's so heartbreaking that after that, like, he was starting to build a nice little repertoire of maybe more dramatic roles, but then it's like, okay, you're going to do two more (laughs) grown-ups and pixels, and it's just kind of like... Come on, man. You were, you were, you, we had you. You were right there. Why'd you leave? You know, I'm sure he has people in his ear telling him, hey, we like you, but we don't like you like this. Let's uh, stick to, you know, what people know you for. Right. But we, as we've seen, the stuff that people even know him for are now starting to peel away because even more so than the new Fantastic Four, uh, Pixels got housed by uh, critics and also people who went to go see the movie. So maybe it might be time to pull out the, uh, you know, the Judd Apatow comedy drama vibe again. I think uh, I think Sandler needs to go away for a little bit and regroup and refresh and then just hit people with something they wouldn't expect. You know, you're not the first person to say that, and I think you might be onto something there. Which I can imagine someone like Sandler, though, the idea of going away and disappearing for a while, probably not the first thing you're going to think. Oh, of. no, you don't want to go full Pauly Shore. You definitely not. Um, he, his life is... <laughs> they had a documentary on Pauly Shore recently, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy is so depressing. Um... I don't know if you saw it on Showtime at all. No, I didn't see it. Wait, when was this? It, this is new to it me. It came out, I want to say, earlier this year, within definitely the last year. And it was a great documentary of him on tour for his comedy tour. And you're just like, I fell for him. I mean, I knew like he's owned the comedy store in Los Angeles, which is one of my favorite comedy spots in the world. Um, but then you see the story of how he got it because his parents owned it. And I think his dad died and his mom is not quite there. They wouldn't show her on the footage, thankfully. But I think she has... Um, dementia or some unfortunate uh, illness and he you can see that he's feeling for her because he's living with her taking care of her and then going out on the road and taking care of his club as well but you also see the heights that he had in his youth and how far he's dipped down since then yeah because growing up i mean i was a kid when most of his movies came out to me i i was he was great i mean there was biodome um encino man uh i mean the list goes on and that's, I got to check this out. This, this sounds like something that's probably going to really screw with me. But at the same time, it's like, I can't not watch this. No, yeah, I highly recommend it for anyone who's listening. If you, um, you know, not like a car wreck type thing, but if you definitely want to see a human story of the heights someone had achieved and then how far they've uh, dropped down. I mean, he definitely hasn't hit rock bottom, but he definitely talks about his struggles. And it really is... Um, really is a touching story. I like to I like to get to know people more. I listen to a lot of podcasts to see how actors and other celebrities and just people talk in general and you get to really know more about how they came up and see them as a person rather than just some figure. And that's half the reason why I started this show. I thought about the comic books I read, whether they be an indie comic or, you know, a Marvel comic cuz I don't really read a lot of DC. Um, but it's one thing to then read a book and it's like, okay, this was fun or this was bad. I'll read the next one. But 
after a while, I was saying to myself, okay, why am I reading these? Why do I care? Who are the people behind the books that I enjoy? It's always great to see someone, you know, get to talk to somebody on a certain level, and then it's like you go back and read the books, and it's like, okay, now I have a better appreciation for this work, because now I get to see maybe the steps they took to get to this point, or maybe some of the influence behind some of my favorite work, so... I, I, I've always appreciated podcasting for allowing me the opportunity to then talk to a creator like yourself and then see the process of how comic books are made and the, the process that goes to crafting a story or even the artwork. Yeah, um, it really is. Uh, everybody has a different way of going about it. Um, like when I wrote Ashes, which is coming out shortly from Z2 Comics, uh, I wrote that in 2013 at the height of you know me doing actual stand-up comedy gigs in New York. I was a regular at... The stand because my friends are producers in Eastville and I've done the Comedy Cellar a bunch of times and then they were they thought it was weird I was also writing a super dramatic depressing comic book about a firefighter who loses his leg on the side <laughs> and uh, but once people got to know me they're like okay we can see how you're splitting your focus on this and this right is that weird though like I I'd imagine that that's probably not the first time that that's happened where you let people know about some of the stuff you're doing on the side. If people are like, well, you do comedy. Like, how is this possible? Huh. Um, not really. It's it, But that's my normal where people just, you know, um, in, in real life, I'm really uh, shy and I don't really like to talk a whole lot now that I've gotten older. In my youth, I couldn't shut up. But, you know, like, <laughs> like I could talk to you because I'm not sitting in a room with you awkwardly looking at each other. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yes, it, it pays off. Thank you, Skype. <laughs> but, you know, people, um, like, at work, no one knows that I'm doing this stuff unless I'm like, hey, by the way, you know, uh, you should probably check out this link. <laughs> you know, like, I do it in such a shady way that, you know, because I'm just shy about my own personal success, I guess. Like, I don't want to, it's not like I want to come off as I'm doing this, but I don't know. I'm very self-conscious and shy about talking about myself in, per- in, in person <laughs> and also in sort of a, like a braggart way. But I, I feel that if you did, it'd be different because you're doing this because it's a general love of this and... The one thing about being a creator, especially in terms of comedy or podcasting or whatever it is, it's not a very passive uh, hobby. Mm. No. Because I guess you could be a stand-up comedian and maybe tell your own jokes to yourself or even record them. But at the end of the day, what what helps is having that audience. I'd like to think that as withdrawn and shy as you say you are, and I know I am, I feel like at the same time, though, there's that part of you that does still dig the attention. Oh yeah, um, I like we're all people. No one is just A or B. We're like we all have multi, you know, um, aspects about ourselves. But I'm at times I'm definitely the the, the Miracle Whip guy who shows up and brings the artichoke dip. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember that commercial where he just slams it down on the table. Like, yeah, that's right. I just brought the artichoke <laughs> dip. That is a great reference. Uh, that's my favorite commercial for some weird reason because that guy has no reason to be. You know, super cocky about it. I'm just like, okay, I get this guy. He's something that's so inane, but you're just being uh, over the top. Uh, I don't want to be that guy 24-7. We've all met comic creators who are like that. And you're just like, all right, this guy's kind of a douche. But, you know. <laughs> uh, I learned from some good people that said always be humble and hungry. And I think, um, you know, they really gravitated to me because they could see that aspect in me. Um, but, yeah, you all, like you said, it's definitely not a passive hobby at all. And you definitely have to get out there and get your stuff out there one way or another so that requires definitely opening up if you can it's like it's like different levels like there's me and then there's me you know we're we're, like we're the same person we're Jekyll and Hyde we're Banner and the Hulk but 
you know, it's, uh, it's time to know when to turn it on and when to turn it off, basically. That is very true, because I'd imagine if you went into work, and I'm talking like early, like just like clocking in, and you go on full-blown, you know, stand-up comedy <laughs> version of Mario that's like, all right, just, just, just keep it down, right? Or we'll send you home. <laughs> Sometimes. Actually, um, I got my wisdom teeth removed recently, and I was off for a couple of days, but when I came back, my guys were like, oh, your cheeks are still swollen. I'm like, it's not swollen, I'm just fat. They didn't expect that. Like, you know. Like, I, I throw one liners out there a lot, uh, especially in emails with corporate, but, you know. <laughs> oh my God, how does that go? Uh, they laugh. I get some private LOL messages instead of everyone being CC'd. It's good, but, you know, they like it because I keep them under toes sometimes. But I'm when it comes to the work, I'm serious and I'm on point if I need to be. Absolutely. You handle your business. But that's the one thing I love about social media, and I feel bad for anybody who's listening who does it. But that's why I, I gripe at, uh, let's say, Twitter comedians who, I guess, they their whole account or joke account. And, you know, they'll just very stream of conscious kind of thing. But at the same time, I get it because it's like it's a great way to test out material. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I throw random stuff out there sometimes um, just to see what type of pushback I get. And then I'll go to one of my guys, like Mahesh Kataki, who's a guy I'm writing for, and I'm just like, hey, try this out. <laughs> so you, in addition to being a stand-up comedian, you also write material for other people. Yeah, um, actually, that's something that I've, I, that's my main goal in comedy. I was only doing stand-up comedy because, A, my friend was doing it, and I was like, this guy's a dick, I can do it better than him. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, also, I, I want to work in a writing room one day. That's actually my, my biggest goal in life is to sit in the room with a bunch of people and we're just banging out ideas with the one dry ease board. And, you know, and then whoever the star is or lead or head comes in, it's like, okay, what do you got for me? And then we all, you know, that's for me, that's my personal heaven. That's something I want to actually get ahead and do in life, whether it's on a TV show or, you know, on something like The Tonight Show, which is upon people writing jokes. Um, I definitely want to get in the writer room experience, and I feel writing for comedians is uh, the best way to get that practice. Has there ever been a point where, let's say, you, you send out a joke and maybe it bonds with the comedian? Now, do you take it upon yourself to be like, oh, that's on me, or does a comedian just take the full hit to that? Uh, no, if they don't like it, they'll just not respond to my text messages. <laughs> 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 and I'm just like, okay, that sucked. But I know it, like, if it's a hit, they'll be right on it in moments. Because I'm legit. No one can be like, oh, I didn't see my phone for three days. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, man. Now that I know that that excuse doesn't work, I guess I got to cross it off the list. No, but yeah, there are some things like um, uh, I can't I, I can't say them because it's someone else's property. But yeah, um, you know, some things just work, some things don't work, or we both think it works, and then someone goes on stage and tries it. Um, but I'm definitely trying to broaden my horizons now. Um, there's a uh, YouTube group called uh, Ask Holes, A S K Holes, <laughs> not Ask. That is perfect, <laughs> and uh, it's sort of like a uh, like a comedian clip show where they'll there will be a topic and then just a bunch of comedians will talk about it and I'm going to be working with them on their upcoming uh, filming schedule, just, you know, banging out quick one-liners on the various topics. Uh, there's a group called We Stand Comedy and they are some of the funniest girls I've ever met and they like some of the ideas I have for sketches. So I'm definitely trying to broaden my horizon into off of stand-up and more into, I guess, just not mainstream, but more, you know, like TV type stuff. Right. Because there is definitely the idea of sketch comedy, like traditionally, like a Saturday Night Live. Maybe not necessarily, but I mean, as far as doing small, self-contained sketches or vignettes are always something I always enjoy. Because it's great just watching like this one particular 
uh, I guess, sketch or story, like, kind of play out, and then basically that's just it. Like, there's... The long form maybe doesn't help as much, but I, I think in terms of a sketch, I think it'd be perfect for that. It's all just teamwork. That's the best thing about it. It's everybody collaborating together, and, you know, uh, we are greater, you know, as a total. I just butchered that line, but <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> The sum of us are, you know, greater than the individual parts, um, I feel. And I'm honestly big on community and everybody working together to build something great. Which is also then leading back into the comic books because that's pretty much what it is. Like, you get your superstar comic book creators, but at the end of the day, you know that it's not just them making this book, or maybe it could be, but nine out of ten times there's a team of people, whether it be artists, writers, inkers, you know, letters and such, that mm -hmm. it's a community effort. Oh, yeah, I'm completely with that. Uh, I'm not one of those glory hog people at all. I will say what with, with Ashes, Carl, the artist Carl Slominski, it's definitely the uh, the load carrier on that. Because I wrote the words. I'm just a jack-off wrote a script. He's actually the person who sits down and takes my imagination, basically, and makes it come to life with various angles and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. I mean, uh it definitely is a whole team effort. Like with, with, uh, with Gumar here, um, we have uh, myself, I wrote it. Then there's Ashley who illustrated it. There's Leslie Atlansky, who's the colorist. There's Zach Sam, who's the letterer. And we're all artists in our own part. So like, Ashley will take my words and see, okay, this is the best image that we can go with on this. Then Leslie will look at her art and say, okay, what colors can work with this to bring out the most dynamic image we have? And then the unsung hero, of course, is the letterers. And I would love for letters to get more publicity than they do. But Zach is looking at the fonts, looking at the balloon placements, looking at the size of everything and say, okay, what's the best way to make it so that the lettering just adds to it? Because bad lettering will stick out like a sore thumb. It could be Jim, yes. it could be Jim Lee art and some kid doing the uh, lettering fresh out of high school and you will definitely notice the difference between that and someone who's taking the time to learn the craft i'm so glad first off i would shake your hand if you were in the same room even though that would be kind of awkward yeah i would awkwardly I'm shy away from you <laughs> yeah he's like oh get away from me don't worry but it's just that i'm so glad that someone also has come out and said you know what we need to push letters up because I, I feel bad because definitely after what Kevin Smith movie was that uh, um, Chasing Amy yep. where they had that whole joke about the inkers. Like I feel like letterers don't get enough credit. No, um, they're the unsung hero. But if they do a bad job, you will see it. It's like it's like if you go to McDonald's and get a burger and it's your like, I, expectations, you won't say anything. But if it's horrible, you will you know go in and complain. Right. Not saying that you know they get paid as much as McDonald's workers because they get paid a lot less, obviously. I'm almost afraid to laugh at that. That's so terrible. No, it's terrible, but it's true. Um, you know, comic wages are a whole other topic I can get on, but you know, uh, <laughs> definitely they are worth more than every penny they're getting because you know a good letterer will take time to make it look good, especially if you have an artist that knows lettering placement, whereas if they have a narrow panel, leave room on top for the letterer to do his thing, basically. Um, yeah, letters are the unsung heroes of the comic book world. I, I'm so glad to hear. So, you know what? Here we go. Up with letterers. There you go. Up with letters. Especially Zach Sam and Taylor Esposito. Those guys are my boys. I love them. And oh, you know Taylor Esposito. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, see him on a twitter a lot he's awesome yeah i don't know when he has time to work i think there's two of them like multiplicity somehow just running a pizza place and <laughs> lettering comics but 
Um, we're actually working on, Taylor and I are working on a comedy book together, and I treat all the people I work like family, so I have him and Robin Allen, who's illustrating it, and I say, okay, guys, here's my preliminary script. How would you make this better? So they are all my co-writers as well, then, rather than just a letterer and and a artist. Taylor is a really funny guy. I think um, the world's going to start seeing more of him soon, and hopefully that side of him comes out. Oh, definitely, yeah, because um, I followed him a while ago, and while I don't necessarily interact heavily, I have seen his tweets, and you know, I've seen his work, and that's so cool that you guys are working together. It's it's funny; it's a small world. Yeah, the comic book world is definitely small. I'm happy that you know I'm I'm out there meeting the right people, and uh, hopefully they like me too. You know, <laughs> you never really know, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so before we go though, um, I did see this one thing you were working on. Uh, Corktown, I believe, is the name. Yes, oh, that's my baby. That is something that's off uh, off brand for me. I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> um, what would you like to know about it? Because I can honestly go on about this for a whole other episode. Oh shoot! Should we say see the only thing? Should we say it for another episode, or should we just let this one run along? Nah, it's up to you. I have all the time in the world. I'm missing SmackDown right now, but that's fine. Oh, that's a plug for the WWE. So hopefully, we get free shirts and tickets. And... Awesome. <laughs> um, actually, I'm um, a buddy of mine who's been on the show before. Um, Pat McDermott. He had um, he hosts a podcast called uh, Club Kayfabe. Ooh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I'll uh, I'll send you a link when we're done, though. But um, he's been on the show, and actually, we did a bonus episode that almost got lost. That I think he'd be interested in. But yeah, he's huge into wrestling, and yeah, th- those those guys are off the wall. But um, yeah, you know what? Though, let's talk a little bit about Corktown. I got time. You know, this is my show. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Corktown is um, Corktown is uh, co-created by Scott Ewen and I. Scott Ewen is another artist who graduated from the Kubert School. That's a running theme in all my comics, by the way. They all come from the Kubert School in Jersey. And uh, it, 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 it came to me when I was watching True Blood with Aaron here. And I was like, yo, if a vampire is undead, do they have a soul still? Like, they died, but they're walking around. And I <laughs> randomly I just emailed Scott, like, Scott, do vampires have soul? Like, like he's going to come out with an answer. <laughs> And <laughs> he's like, are you drunk again? Yeah, basically. And um, he was just, you know, answered. And then we just started getting an idea. And then that's how the story came. It's about the ghost of a detective. And uh, she died on the job for Detroit Police Department. We said it in Detroit because that's where Scott's from. And pretty much she cannot move on into the next world until she stops the killer. And the killer happens to be her reanimated corpse. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's really, uh, like, people think I do drugs because when, when I tell them that. <laughs> I, I, like, no, no, I was watching True Blood, you know, which is... Even if you did, I don't judge, though, <laughs> but that's still an awesome premise. Thanks. Yeah, um, it's something that we looked into and hasn't really been done, and hopefully no one steals it. But we uh, we have the comic coming out through Alterna very soon. I'm not too sure exactly what the timetable is. It's only a four-issue miniseries, and I think they're going to be promoting it during Free Comic Book Day. But, oh, very cool. Thanks. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's something that's completely off type for me. It's not a drama. It's not a comedy. It's just, I'm just trying my hand at a fun idea, which I think is really the best comics when they're not forced. It's just like, hey, this would be kind of a cool thing to, you know, just travel down this uh, avenue and explore. But as we've discovered, and as I found out talking to a couple of other creators, some of the best ideas will come at the most random of times. <laughs> yeah. 
like the the story I always heard that I don't know if it's true or not that like oh J.K. Rowling originally wrote Harry Potter on napkins when she was homeless and like I don't even know how true that is but it sounds about right. I can see that uh, you know she's sitting there mumbling random words like homeless people do and Muggles was one of them. <laughs> and, you know, it's like <laughs> she's like Muggles, Muggles. That's a thing. That's what is Muggles? Thing. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, it's just, oh snap! Uh, I could I, I could totally see Harry Potter being written by a homeless person. To be honest, it's about someone who's living underneath stairs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, sorry. That might have been too rough of a slam, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm keeping that. I'm sorry. That you know what? I, it's art. It's already. Uh, it's out. There. It's already in. It's out. There. It's in the ether. <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, epilogue. That story came while I was actually driving from. I live in, in in the outskirts of Philadelphia, so New York City is less than 100 miles from me. And while I was driving to a gig one night, I was listening to the radio, and two songs came on, uh, Adele's Somebody Like You and Gautier, Someone I Used to Know. And then there was no DJ, there's no commercials, it was just one, strong right in, one song right into the other. And I was like, holy crap, this song, they're telling me a story from two different perspectives, and then that's how, you know, uh, Epilogue came to be. Um, Ashes really came together, and I was just like, hey, I kind of want to tell a firefighter story, and then... Carl got on board, and the whole story came together after that, just really on a whim. I think all my comics really just have no planning <laughs> from it, just by mistake, to be honest. <laughs> That's what I love about fellow writers or you know people who are telling stories, because you'd be surprised at dumb crap that like inspires you. Yeah, ooh, I should probably talk about Ashes before I get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. Is that okay? <laughs> oh, no, let's talk more about Ashes. Let's get into this. Uh, all right, yeah, Ashes is coming out with Z2 Comics this fall. Uh, September, October, I'm not exactly too clear on the date. It's in previews right now, actually. And um, it's about a New York City firefighter named Matt Williger. A Brooklyn firefighter, should be uh, more specific, because that's where I'm from. And he loses his leg during an accident on the job. And after that, the story really picks up of him trying to rebuild both his career and his personal life with his family, who he feels is against him. Oh, Yeah, his, uh, his dad is one of those lifers. His father was a lifer before him. So he really feels that once his accident happens, no one has his back. And uh, he's really just trying to pick up the pieces. This is, um, it was a cool story that, like I said, just came together from the ether. And once we started getting the ball rolling, it was one of the most dramatic works I think I've ever put together especially the family stuff, but um, we've gotten a pretty good response so far. We kickstarted this back in 2013, raised $6,000 to put the whole graphic novel together, and then we pitched it out. Um, I was really selective with who I pitched it out to. Um, I didn't want to go too big like Dark Horse and get lost in the shuffle, but I also didn't want to you know, go too small in indie and no one saw it. Um, my buddy Dean Haspiel had a book that came out with Z2 Comics called Fear My Dear. And I met his publisher at a uh, kickoff event they had for that. And I knew right away that Josh, he was a young kid. Um, well, not a young kid, but he's a young man. And, you know, but he had, definitely has a vision for the comic book market and he has ideas for stories. And I was like, okay, this guy's based in New York City, A. Uh, he gets me, B. And, you know, we both have some more taste. So we. We're talking for a while. We banged out the details, and now the story's coming out through them. Awesome. And I guess everybody look out for that. I mean, I'll have to basically come up with, like, a, a, I guess, a listing you know, when I post this episode of all these books because they all sound great, and, you know, everybody just needs to go buy them. That's, that's pretty much all it is. That's all there is to it, really. Yeah, if you go buy Ashes especially, we're both, uh, both the publisher and I are given cut of our proceeds to uh, an FDNY 
charity, and uh, we're kick- we're doing a kickoff show for New York Comic Con. If you're going to be in the area, uh, it's a comedy show that I'm producing. I'm not performing, but I'm just putting it together. And I think we're doing uh, the door goes to the charity as well. Oh, great! You'll have to give me the deets on that because yeah. that sounds like a lot of fun. Mario, it's been this has been an absolute blast, and you have no idea how much fun this has been. Yeah, thanks for letting me uh, drone on and on about random things and getting off topic with you. <laughs> no, that's um, to tell you the truth, I'm bad, and maybe I shouldn't tell this to people, but I know it in myself. I can be very scattered sometimes, and I know there's there's some guests that you can tell like they're they're very focused. I want to talk about this thing, and you know we can deviate. But sometimes if you like, if you're gonna give me the ball and run with it and not like you know flip out, I'm gonna just keep going because I I think we were onto something with the uh, the, the Seinfeld game. Of <laughs> thing. Oh yeah, I need to see this at some point. So if you and your sketch group ever get that done. I would love to see it. Oh, yeah, I'm already biting your idea as we speak and drafting a draft over. No, my that's guys. perfectly fine. No, go with it. And I would, if you ever do film that, I will promote the ever loving hell out of that. Actually, I, I actually have an idea of how that could sort of work. I mean, it'd be a little bit of money because of the uh, production into it to get Game of Thrones like, but it could definitely work. Okay, because I had ideas for that, but maybe I shouldn't say those on the air or say those on the podcast, because then you know theft and all that. Oh, but um, keep it. Keep it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but um, we will definitely have to talk more about Fallout because as a, as someone who's played at least three New Vegas, mm-hmm. and of course I'm waiting for four. There's so many things I want to talk about with that, so you might have to come back for a Fallout-related episode because that could be a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. You know who you should have on? my uh, The letter is Zach Sam. He's also a huge Fallout fan, which I love that we bonded over this outside of comic books, but he he and I, once you get us going, and I'm sure once we get you going too in the mix, we'll definitely have like a four-part episode. <laughs> oh, def- by all means, if... um. I'll hook you with his info. We'll we'll chat and we can hire, iron out a date because the more the merrier. Let's get this going. Awesome, thanks, man. Oh boy, but okay. But before we go, again, shameless promotion. You have to let the people know where they could find your work, where they could find you, because I feel like you need more followers. Yeah, uh, I only have a measly thousand three hundred. <laughs> he's like i'm slumming it right now but maybe it'll pick up eventually yeah uh i know some people who purchase their followers in the comic industry not to name names but i know you and i'm not going down that path <laughs> but uh oh burn oh uh, people trust throwing me. hella shade man throwing shade people trust me with their secrets i'm like i'm not gonna tell anyone but ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you can follow me on twitter at the other mario c uh the first mario c is mario cantone um so I'm just like, I'm just the other guy. So at the other Mario C, if you want boring photos, I am at another Mario C on Instagram. <laughs> I don't know why. I, please tell me you have a Tumblr called the other, other Mario C. Uh, hold on. Let me get a couple minutes and I will. But <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, Yeah. And uh, you can definitely find uh, Kumar on Kickstarter. Uh, just do the search for C-O-M-A-R-E. And if you're on the Twitter, I'm plugging it nonstop throughout the day, it seems. So you can definitely find that there. Um, also, we have Epilogue that just hit Comixology. Part 1 hit this week on Wednesday, and Part 2 hits next Wednesday. And those are the, fin- the, the complete story for $0.99 cents each if you just search Epilogue. Very cool, Mario. This has been so much fun. But yeah, um, once we're done, I'll shoot you an email or whatever. We'll, we'll see if you can iron out the details of that uh 
the uh, the Fallout thing because I, I'm so excited for this because yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of that game. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Um, I hope you've had a lot of fun because I sure as hell did. So I, mean, I guess that's what important, right? <laughs> that's terrible. No, that sounds like a that sounds like a jerk thing to say. At any rate, that'll do it for Adrian has issues. I'm Adrian, and we will see you next issue. Mm-hmm.